Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Okay, so now we're going to head into our uh, series Hidden Grace, Lessons from the Life of Joseph. I've just so enjoyed uh, this series and teaching through this series and revisiting this series for me. It's ministered to me. I hope it's ministered to you. I've gotten a lot of good feedback. Josh has gotten good feedback from, from people that are part of our body or have watched this digital stream and have been encouraged by the messages. Today we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 50, and um, it's, it's a while after uh, Joseph's brother's uh, had come to Egypt and uh, Jacob passes away, uh, Joseph's father. And, and I think the brothers are a little nervous now as to how Joseph is going to treat them now that their father is gone. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 50. going to read verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to do me harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Old Testament, New Testament, wherever we look in scripture, there is this commandment, there's this example, there's this encouragement this promise of power to forgive. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to mine the depths of the message of forgiveness, which is at the heart of the gospel, and to see its power at work in our own lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, this passage is clearly about forgiveness as Jacob's father, um, and I I guess I'll say apparently, asks Joseph um, after his death through his sons, after all the pain his brothers had caused him, he asks them, he asks Joseph to forgive them. And Joseph does with amazing grace. I mean, again, Joseph is a picture of Christ. Jesus is our Joseph. He's our truer and better Joseph. Jesus forgives us with amazing grace, as we see Joseph doing for his brothers. Now, I'm going to do something a little different today, the rest of the message. I'm going to reference Joseph and what's happening here. But because Jesus, our King, said so much about this topic, We're going to look at what he said this week before we dive too deeply into this text and what is going on here with Joseph, which I'll hit that more uh, in a few weeks. So we're going to go back today and look at one of Christ's parables about forgiveness. And then, as I said, we'll come back in a few weeks and it'll actually be the final day, I believe, of this series, Hidden Grace. Now, a few years back, I defended a popular wrestler on Twitter who, although I disagreed uh, strongly with his harsh comments, he also publicly apologized. Uh, And I accepted that apology. 
uh, when, he, when he offered that. And yet he became the whipping boy of the entire wrestling community on Twitter because of what he'd said previously. And after he posted his apology, I tweeted out, we, we picked up stones. Will we now be as zealous to forgive? We all blunder. We all have flaws. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As someone with deep ties in women's wrestling, thanks, Pat, for your apology. I forgive you. And someone replied in, you know, in my comment thread, some things are unforgivable. I was like, really? He made some dumb comments, and that is unforgivable? You know, referring to the opinion that was shared by this guy? And I told that person two things, and I think it's important for all of us to hear. Number one, if we can't forgive someone who apologizes for harsh words or unpopular opinions, then God help our country. And I'll say the same thing about the church. If we can't forgive someone who says something stupid or mean or off, um, and they apologize for it and they repent for it, if we can't forgive, then God help our church. And I'm not saying that I have any evidence that we can't do that, but we're building a culture and, and a climate here for how to relate to one another. That's the first thing I said to the guy. You know, if we can't forgive, God help us. God help our country. God help the wrestling community. And the second thing I said was, God forbid that the standard you used would come back on you. You know, we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. We've all done dumb things. If you took your five worst days of your life or my five worst days of my life, man, we would all be canceled. We would definitely be canceled by this culture. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So it's like, okay, you want to use that standard? Guess what standard is going to be used to judge you? It's frightening, actually. And when Jesus said this in Matthew 7, he wasn't speaking about being cowards and not calling sin, sin, or evil, evil. But he was speaking about sitting in the seat of final judgment over a person. That would be taking the place of God. Isn't that what Joseph said he wouldn't do? He said, am I in the place of God? I will not sit in that final seat of judgment. And it's condemning someone from that seat without grace. One pastor friend of mine I heard in a message, he called this kind of judgment that Jesus is, is teaching against in Matthew 7, condemnation without a cure. It's sitting in the final judgment seat of Christ. But Jesus warned us about taking the place of God in one of his great parables in Matthew 18. I want to look at that, and we're going to talk about that uh, primarily for the rest of our time today. In Matthew 18, he warned us about doing what Joseph was frightened to do, and yet what people do all the time. He warned us about the consequences of being merciless and not forgiving. Matthew 18 Verses 21 through 35, I'm reading out of the ESV. Then Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or as other translations say, 70 times seven. So whether it's 77 or 490, it's a lot. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since they could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. 
Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Powerful, revealing, inspiring, riveting text. Words by Christ. See, Peter thought he was being a big boy. He thought he might impress Jesus. So he goes up and he's like, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Up to uh, seven times? I see him kind of looking around at the other disciples. Did you hear that? Did you hear what I said? Up to seven? Jesus says 70 times seven or 77 times. Again, whether it's 77 or 490, Jesus picked a ridiculous number on purpose. It's an argument by absurdity, you might call it. He's saying we should always forgive. We should always show mercy. We should always leave that person in the hands of God. As the scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So Jesus is, he's driving the requirement actually deeper and making the standard higher. Jesus, the King of grace, is showing the very high standard of God's holiness and in particular around this command to forgive. It's like if a kid comes and says to mom, mom, I cleaned my room. Mom goes and inspects the room and all they did was make a path on the floor, you know, with their clothes and toys and garbage sort of piled on the sides, you know, the, the Red Sea, you know, the Red Sea of, uh, of bedroom cleaning. We've all seen it, you know, just make a Red Sea through the, <laughs> through the room. So mom inspects the room and she says, clean the top of your dresser, clean all this garbage out of the way and clean under your bed too. Mom is saying, kid, this goes deeper than a surface cleaning. And Jesus is saying, this goes deeper than a surface pardon. The very, fundam the very fundamental way you approach people has to change. Three things in this text, the need for forgiveness, the cost of forgiveness, very costly, and the source of forgiveness. So let's look at this idea of the need. And we see it in verse 24. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And this first guy who's forgiven this first debt is really a picture of us. And it's a huge debt he owes the king. We owe God a lot. The Bible says no one is righteous. No one is good. All have, all have gone their own way. All have a huge a huge sin debt that we owe God. A huge sin debt that we cannot pay. And notice what happened in the story by the end. Everybody was put back in prison. Everybody's put in prison, right? This guy who was forgiven the debt and then sort of unforgiven the debt, and then the, the uh, fellow servant who was not forgiven 
And they, at the end of the story, everybody ends up in prison. Why? Because everybody was guilty and nobody showed mercy. All have a debt they couldn't pay. Paul cites Isaiah in Romans 3, 11, and 12 when he says, and I quoted this in part a moment ago, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And by worthless, don't think that that means we're not valuable to God. It means we're, we're unworthy of him. In the 1950s, a study was done by a psychologist named Stanton Samenow and another psychiatrist, Samuel Yockelson, beginning with a conventional wisdom that a crime was caused uh, by nurture, not nature, by environment. It was environmental causes that caused, causes all crime. And they set out to prove their point. They began a 17-year study involving thousands of hours of clinical testing of 250 inmates in Washington, D.C. They were stunned to discover that the cause of the crime cannot be traced to environment, poverty, or oppression. Instead, they concluded, crime is a result of individuals making, as they put it, wrong moral choices. And you know, that study just amens the Bible. The Bible teaches that we all have a sin nature and we all stand guilty before God. We all have a sin debt. But we live in a society that constantly preaches that we're all inherently good. Even in the church, we have that being preached. Gratefully, not our church and a lot of churches in Clarksville, but there are churches and teachers who teach that, that we're all inherently good. Well, if we're inherently good, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? What's the point of the cross? What's the point of the blood? I read an article about some religious progressives that wanted to change the lyrics Amazing Grace because of the horrible word, wretch. You know, amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved. Oh, wretch like me. One person in the article said, I can't relate to that. I don't identify as a wretch. <laughs> Listen, here's the problem. Here's the problem. And you will hear me say this more than once if you spend any amount of time with me and listen to me teach. The grace ain't amazing if the wretch ain't a wretch. What makes the grace amazing is that the wretch is a wretch. And here's what the gospel teaches and here's where we land and here's the, here's the freedom of this. And this is a hard place to get to, but here's where the Holy Spirit brings us. We say, I'm more wicked than I ever dared believe, yet I'm more loved than I ever dared hope at the very same time. And without grasping the reality of this brokenness, we'll never see the beauty of grace. We'll never see the power of the cross. We'll never see the need of the cross. The cross won't become any great electrifying message to our hearts. It won't stir us up at all. We'll just kind of be like, meh. But when we see the depth of sin, when we see that we have a great sin debt that we owe God, then grace begins to look beautiful. We've talked a lot about Mount St. Helens uh, in this series, uh, illustrating the lava that was about to blow off the top of uh, Jacob's family and just sort of burn this family to the ground, so to speak, relationally. When Mount St. Helens erupted in May of 1980, it was not a sudden event. For two months prior to the massive, massive blast, the most deadly and destructive uh, in American history, uh, earthquakes and volcanic activity signaled that a major event was coming. Authorities had plenty of time to sound the alarm, let people know, and get people who live nearby out of the way of coming danger. Yet despite the seriousness of the threat, as it always goes, some people refused the warnings. They, they disregarded the warnings. And probably the best known of those who refused to evacuate was a guy named Harry Randall. Poor 
Harry Randall Truman. Harry Truman, not the president. Happens to have the same name. So we throw the middle name in there. The 83-year-old man was the owner and caretaker at the Mount St. Helens Lodge at Spirit Lake. He survived the sinking of his troop ship by a German submarine off the coast of Ireland during World War I. And he was not about to leave just because some alarmist scientists thought there was danger. He told reporters, I don't have any idea whether it'll blow, but I don't believe it to the point that I'm going to pack up. Well, he didn't pack up. In May 18, 1980, Truman and his lodge were buried beneath 150 feet of mud and debris from the volcanic eruption. His body was never found. That's a picture of ignoring the gospel. It's foolish to ignore truth and danger and think that we'll be exempt from its consequences. All have sinned. All need forgiveness. Like the old song says, I had a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I'm singing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. So that's the need. There's a great sin debt that we all owe the Lord. Now let's look at the cost. Of, that was the need for forgiveness. Now the cost of forgiveness. In verse 28, it says that the first servant was forgiven the debt, but that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. Now, I used to teach this uh, scripture, this, this story that Jesus told, I think incorrectly. Because I used to say, well, when you don't forgive someone, it's like choking them for a dollar when Jesus has forgiven you for a million dollars. But that statement isn't entirely true if you study this text of scripture. And I apologize that I ever said it like that. When I looked up what their currency would be worth in our country, the, the talents and the denarii, I was shocked to find out what I found out. One talent in that culture at that time was worth 20 years wages. And Jesus said the guy was forgiven 10,000 talents. Now, using modern average income per year, based on what the servant originally owed, if we converted it to their money, he owed the king $11.3 billion. And that's what, the, that's what the king forgave the servant. He went out and choked a guy for 100 denarii. Now, how much was a denarius worth? A denarius was worth one day's wage. That, oh, that's 100 days of work. That's a, that's a lot of money. In our currency, which is what the second servant was owed, that would be worth about $21,700. My point is, that's not a small amount of money. So for me to say, oh, it's like choking somebody for a dollar, you know, after Jesus has forgiven you, it's actually not. It, it actually, it's like choking someone for $21,700. Some of you were like, I'd choke, I'd choke somebody for that. What, so what, what does this tell us? What, is, what do these amounts of money tell us? It tells us that your offense is real. What you lost was valuable. When someone sins against you, they often take something valuable from you. A relationship, money, opportunity, peace. Um, I don't know. You know, being able to uh, live or, or, or operate a certain way in, in society or in your neighborhood or in school or, or, or on your team. 
So God doesn't minimize your pain. God doesn't look at what you went through and say, come on, it's no big deal. $21,700 is a big deal. But compared to what God did for you, it really is small. And that's why the only way to forgive is to consider your forgiveness. And that brings me to our last point. We've looked at the need for, for forgiveness, the cost of forgiveness, you know, how, how high the cost is to do that. And then let's look at this last thing, the source of forgiveness. In verse 33 of this story Jesus tells, it says, the master summoned him, the one who didn't forgive his fellow servant, 100 denarii, 21.7K dollars. And he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The king told the servant that the source of his unforgiveness was forgetting his own forgiveness. So then the source of our forgiveness is remembering the grace that God showed us. It's remembering how we were forgiven. We remember the gospel of radical grace. That's why in the book of Ephesians, when Paul is encouraging God's people in Ephesus to forgive, he, he says it this way, be kind to one another, tender-hearted." Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He encourages them to remember their own forgiveness as the source to be able to forgive others. In the gospel, there is motivation and spiritual power to forgive others. A few things about forgiveness as we sort of head to the closing part of this message. A few things about the nature, I'll say the nature of forgiveness. And yeah, I am taking a few notes here just to kind of improve maybe how I say it on Sunday because um, it's pre-recorded. A few things about the nature of forgiveness. Number one, forgiveness is unnatural and therefore requires supernatural grace. Perhaps you've heard of the great woman, Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom. She was a a watchmaker from Holland in World War II. She was betrayed by a friend, sold for 400 guilders, um, was taken away to concentration camp with her sister, never saw her father again, never saw her, her uh, extended family again. And her sister Betsy died in concentration camp while Corey was there and watched her sister die a slow death. Through a clerical error, Corey Ten Boom was released out of prison days before they gassed everybody in the camp. She had no family left. She had to begin a new life. And God gave her the grace to forgive. And she began to travel the world and preach on the message of forgiveness as what she called the title of her book, A Tramp for the Lord. And she went all over the world and preached on forgiveness. Well, she actually went to Berlin after the war to share her story. After her message, she shuddered as she saw the gate of a man walking up toward her. She recognized his walk. She recognized him. It was one of the guards from Raffensbrück concentration camp, one of the cruelest guards that was there. She'd watched him mistreat her sister. And he came up. He didn't remember her, but she remembered him. And he said, Fräulein Ten Boom, I've heard your story. He says, after the war, I felt so guilty and I asked God to forgive me. And I know his Bible says he will forgive me, but... I struggle to feel forgiven. But I have always asked God that if he would 
allow me to meet someone who was in concentration camp. And if they would forgive me, then I would know truly that he has forgiven me. And he stuck out his hand. He said, Furlan Ten Boom, will you forgive me? And if, as you listen to her story, she says, and, and I, I, got, I, I listened to her story first on this old cassette tape that my mother gave me when I was 13 years old. She spoke at Wheaton College and they recorded it. And I, and I, and I listened to that tape over and over. And I remember she said, I could not. I could not forgive him. And she says, I was right. I did not have the power. It was unnatural. And in a moment, I'm, she says, I'm praying. And I said, oh God, please help me. I know I'm to forgive, but I cannot forgive. And she said, the Holy Spirit quickened a verse to her heart. And it's Romans 5, Romans 5, 6. And Romans 5, 6 says, for the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And she said, in a moment, I realized I did not need to obtain the love of God. It was already within me and I needed to place a demand on the love of the Holy Spirit that was already deposited in my heart. She said, so I reached out my hand. I looked him in the eyes and I said, I forgive you, brother. And she wept and he wept and the handshake turned into an embrace, an amazing story of forgiveness. She says, I, I couldn't and I was right. You can't either, but Jesus can. That's her message. There's power in Christ to forgive. Second thing about forgiveness, in closing. Forgiveness is choosing to live with the consequences of someone else's sin. Do you understand that about forgiveness? If somebody cuts off my arm and I forgive them, you know, my, my arm doesn't grow back. I don't get my arm back. I have to choose to live without my arm in order to forgive them. And, you know, it's not, it's not like... A, a condition of forgiveness is my, my arm has to regenerate or something in order for me to forgive them. The only way for me to be free is to be like Joseph, to say what you meant for evil, God intended for good, to trust God that he has a sovereign plan in all of it and release them and forgive them. Another thing about the nature of forgiveness. Without forgiveness, and I've already referenced this, everyone suffers. There's a book called Total Forgiveness by uh, one-time pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, R.T. Kendall. He went through the betrayal of some church members, and as he was processing this with a close friend, it's a very hurtful situation, his friend said to him, R.T., you must totally forgive them, for until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and they will be released. See what happened in the story in, in Matthew 18 that Jesus told Everybody ends up in prison. The guy who didn't forgive ended up in prison. That's what happens when we don't forgive. We, we end up in prison. Now, look, look at Joseph. He would not have been truly free, truly free in his heart if he didn't forgive his brothers. And I believe forgiveness could even open the door for the redemption of your enemy. But when you don't forgive, you're still allowing the person to hurt you who hurt you to control, to control you. They might even not even be with us anymore. They might be in the grave. And yet that person still controls us because our hearts are in chains. So set yourself free. Or allow Jesus to set you free as you obey his command to forgive, forgive and receive his grace to forgive. And as you set yourself free, you might even set them free. It is possible that because Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
it's possible that that's the very reason that the Roman soldier came later on in the story and said, surely this is the Son of God. Sow grace and you will reap grace. The application for this message is very simple. Normally we have a couple of them. This time we have one. Forgive. Forgive. God will give us the grace to be what we cannot be and do what we cannot do for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He is with us. He will strengthen us to do it. And we will be set free. So I say to you, what that man said to R.T. Kendall. You must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you'll be in chains. Release them and you will be released. Jesus is the chain breaker. He's the opener of the prison doors. Aren't you glad? Jesus is enough. God bless you. Thanks for watching today. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.